Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Ava and Lilith, the Monsters of Men. I am your host, DC, and with me today, I have a lovely co-host who I would let introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Maslow. I was like on Twitter. I'm been on here many a times, and I always enjoy talking about Ava. Yeah, you probably have heard us uh, duet several episodes before, and here we are again with. Season 2, Episode 9, our theme today is Coming of Age. And to be completely honest with every single one of you, first of all, I'm sorry this episode is so late and behind schedule. Real life has been a pain in the ass. I, I feel like it, it's really safe to say that, not only for me, but for like most of us, I believe. Every time I enter Twitter, everyone's just in despair, more so than usual. And, you know, some days, some days you really just don't want to get in front of a computer for a couple of hours. Some days you just want to lie in bed and look at the ceiling. But we got to do what we got to do. And I think this is a perfectly interesting point for us to slither into the topic. Because the second point of reference that I was going to mention earlier is that I genuinely did not think this theme would win. Caught me by surprise, all of you who voted for it. You really kept me on my toes and you really had me to go around thinking, huh, how can I possibly talk about something as broad of a concept as a coming-of-age narrative or a coming-of-age story regarding Neon Genesis Evangelion? How do we even begin to tackle such a beast, right? And I think it's for the best. If we go possibly character by character or at least study by study. But before that, we should probably enter and consider what exactly is a coming of age story or narrative. So as as pedantic know-it-alls, self-appointed, what is to you a coming of age narrative, Alex? Uh, if I'm being an edgy... Uh... An edgy teen about it. It's uh, the destruction of ignorance, but really, yeah. yeah, no, really though, I I do like the. Uh, I, I like, like that. It is a it's a quick way to say it, but I think the more nuanced way is to just kind of say where you start getting a context to how the world works around you. It is you know becoming an adult does usually mean like you have adult responsibilities. And you have to start thinking outside of your own self. You have to recognize others there are other human beings they aren't just there for as props for your story it's like yeah you're not a little kid anymore you gotta it's like and sometimes unfortunately you uh like the world might slap you in the face long before you're an adult or so <laughs> yep i think the interesting thing about coming of age stories and coming of age narratives other than the fact that you know to every single one of us it happens at a different time some of us grow up way too fast some of us take a long time to actually grow up. But I think the interesting thing is how it seems to be something that is all-encompassing. But in some way, shape, or form, at the end of the day, it is a universal experience. Because at some point, we all cross that threshold. You know, We all cross that point where we are no longer protected by like the ignorance of, of youth, for lack of a better term. Or childhood, I guess, is better. And we have to start confronting the fact that we are not the center of the universe and that actions that we make 
have consequences and how that affects all of the people around us. Yep. And what better yeah. what better anime to <laughs> encapsulate such a such a feeling other than one of the most would you say I don't think describing Evangelion as depressing has ever been a great indicator of what this show is, but it does get across a feeling, doesn't it? Yeah, like, yeah, and I do agree. It's, like, depressing, like, that's what the funny, that's the fun call card for everyone. But, yeah, it's it's not. It's, like, in fact, it, it's usually trying to be a, a story of hope, but it's, a, but it's one that's ugly and usually still has a lot and sometimes has a good amount to say. Absolutely agree. And, and I think that the reason that we often uh, contemplate whether Evangelion is like depressing and hopeful and how can it be two, these two different things at the same time has a lot to do with the fact of that factor of growing up and realizing that, you know, people are people, man. <laughs> people are not just the perceptions you have of them. People are their own person with thoughts and feelings and three-dimensional lives that sometimes we don't get to be a whole part of and how that realization kind of like shakes us to our core if you were to ask me personally for example uh like when was the moment that i realized that i'm one of those people that unfortunately because of uh eldest latina uh curse i had to grow up pretty fast uh like if you if you've ever seen a meme about this on twitter it's like you know the eldest sibling who had to grow up super fast because you gotta raise your siblings you know And people like that, people that have gone through those experiences, they tend to be a little bit more aware of the world around them faster. But just because they're aware of it doesn't mean they fully comprehend what it means. Because I can sit here and tell you, oh, when I was little, I was aware that, for example, my mom had difficulty raising my, my brothers. But I didn't fully understand what that meant. It was just It was just an idea that I had. I knew that my mom was X, but I didn't know she was also why if that makes any sense and i think that feeling that threshold of becoming to realize that thing about other people is very jarring no matter the age that you are in no matter the age when you actually realize that you know yeah and it's also having to realize you know your parents are human beings too yeah there is a like there's many facets to them more than just is like they're more than just mom There's mm -hmm. also who they were, you know, who, like the thing, you know, one of the things they don't talk about because you're a kid mm -hmm. uh, for good and ill. Uh, and I think that's actually a really interesting point. So we can focus on our two main protagonists who are basically kind of two sides of the same coin. If, if, if we are bold enough to state such a claim in Shinji and Misato, who view each other as surrogate mother-son dynamic, but there's also... A whole lot else going on within those interactions and those uh how how yep. would you even call it um dynamics yeah perhaps may mayhaps i remember on my first viewing of the show uh way back then i cannot believe it's almost been two years or three i, I don't really know how to count anymore i remember thinking that it was weird that everyone was calling like masato a MILF or a mommy. First yep. of all, because she's relatively young. She's 29. Like, I am closer in age to Misato now than I was a couple of years ago. And I still find it incredibly weird that people are just going, oh, she 
she she's older she's old that's an old woman and i'm like that's, oh, yeah, all right that's that's as old of a woman as you know like some of the internet social media can really handle mm-hmm. she's not she's not a mess as like it's she's like she's just an older woman there's yeah. there there is really a difference y'all <laughs> there really is because I, I remember thinking that i remember thinking like she's only 29 i don't know yeah. what you guys are talking about Again, yeah, that, that's because that's as old as they can handle. An, an actual one, no. I, I, I just remember thinking a lot through throughout my first viewing that Misato reminded me more of an older sister than a mother. Yeah, but I think that's intentional in a way. Uh, and yeah. I, I obviously I can't speak about this from experience because I have never been a prepubescent boy. But uh, it is my understanding that a lot of boys tend to like go through a phase where they do crush on an older girl. Uh, like I, I know it's not universal, and I'm probably like generalizing way beyond here, but uh, I do think it's interesting to explore it from that perspective regarding the whole Shinji Misato dynamic, because Shinji does idolize Misato in those first couple of episodes. She's like, she's like the the coolest woman he's ever seen. She she evades an accident, an accident that she almost caused <laughs> with her reckless driving. Uh, yeah, she's but- she's hot. <laughs> we we got to say that she's hot. We can't just deny that. And I find it interesting how in the course of the first, I believe, five to six episodes, that mask that Misato wears starts slowly to deteriorate. And Shinji starts to see her more as an actual person rather than the idea that she presented herself to be in that little photo that she yep. sends him. Oh, that photo. Oh, God. <laughs> But yeah, uh, I would like to kind of to partially skirt around the awkward conversation that comes with crushing an older woman thing. Mm -hmm. I was like, God knows that's a that's a whole podcast in and of itself by people who are smarter and studied it more than I have. I would say that I think that the dynamic is interesting because I think that Masato might have been going for like caretaker older sister. But we do know from some of uh, Shinji's little mental moments where he's kind of like you can kind of see in his psyche. I think he does want Masato to be a surrogate mother, but I don't think Masato wants that. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Like a lot of the more quote unquote motherly aspects that Masato portrays or seem to portray are never something that's genuinely from her it's mostly perceptions that shinji or other characters have that are imposed on her and i think one of the clearest examples of that is in the dream sequence in end of eva yeah you you can see her in the background like sitting all like all like with a nice clothing like a mother looking like a mom waiting for shinji to finish playing in the sandbox Mm mm-hmm and then in that same sequence where everyone's just kind of melding together and Shinji experiences Misato having a sexual relationship with Kaji and being horrified by it. I remember being so angry that he was horrified by it the first time I watched it. I was like, what the fuck does that yeah. give you the right to, to, to feel like that? Fuck off. <laughs> Yeah, there's a there's a whole like I like, I don't want to go into Freud. I know yeah. that's where it came from. Let's be real. Alex, he Anno can't keep Red. getting away with this. He can't keep getting away with this. Yeah, no, Anno, no, see, Anno's the one who is encouraging it. Let's be real here. <laughs> like, 
that is where it's coming from. Anno read Freud, and now we all have to suffer for it. But it was like, I think the main thing with that is that, yeah, she's not who he wants her to be. And part of her is like she did have that reaction. She didn't want him to see that because, you know, she didn't because to her that sex and stuff was, you know, a nasty part of her, like herself. But like in in her mind, it's not really having a sex life is a sex life. Exactly. It was like, but it was like, like, and yeah, at the same time, you know, maybe it's also, hey, that's like, yeah, she is like she did want to keep shinji viewing her almost in this idealized state not who she really was and i think that's her thing she's trying to have her cake and eat it too and that does begin to break down Mm -hmm. especially when she's technically the person who also has to send him out to die (laughs) Uh, power dynamics are fun aren't they (laughs) yeah and and you know for all the gripe that people give like the scene where uh Rizuko, like is uh calling her out on it and she slaps her Rizuko yeah. was in the right like yeah. it or not this is her job the kids are are soldiers it's t- a terrible thing and again we've talked a lot about it and we could talk forever about it mm-hmm. like child soldiers like in the like what the situation going on there but it is her job Shinji's not her kid she's not like he's not her uh little brother or whatever she got custody of him be- to watch over him because he's an asset for nerve and thus our entire species survival. Yeah, and we have to remember that like Misato taking responsibility for Shinji was a decision made by Misato herself. Because if I'm not mistaken, Shinji was supposed to stay like at a room in Nerve headquarters or something. Like, and then Misato was like, No, that's no way to live. You come live with me now. Yeah, exactly. And that so, was what was gonna happen. Yeah. And and like that's her. It, it's like you said. She tries to have her cake and eat it too because she she tries to present herself as this caretaker and she wants to take care of Shinji and make sure that he's uh, in a comfortable environment in her apartment. But she's also completely unqualified to do any of those things because she has yeah. been alone for so long. And she got has a you know truckload of problems, which you know a lot of them are understandable. She has a tough job. Like sending children out to fight and die, as like dealing with her, you know, being a survivor of the is like of a second impact, the only survivor of mm-hmm. second impact, so like the actual thing, and then dealing with the fallout of all of that. Like she had to go, yeah, she went through a lot, and then like and the fact that she's not out of her mind from just uh. Like an is and is not still in a hospital quiet as she what showed to be when she's was a kid. In fact, she's still not there speaks a lot to her strength, but yeah. she that that still doesn't mean she should be the one raising a child. Absolutely. I think there was just a moment where Misato saw this kid and maybe she just saw a kindred spirit. Maybe she just saw someone who was going through something similar that she went. And that kind of protective instinct that we all get when we see someone who reminds us of a younger us is is always complicated at best and truly fucked up at worst. Yeah, and it's like, and you also can't quite blame her. Like it's like it's also like, hey, you're, you know, Shinji having to just do deal with being a child soldier. He's clearly not prepared for it. He's he just got there and he got (laughs) thrown into it. Got. Physically, it was like physically traumatized or mentally, depending on how you want to be specific, because he 
felt an injury but never received one. Mm-hmm. But yeah, still, it's trauma, like actual traumatized and got no sympathy for it. Yeah, you you want to help. You want to help them out. Period. And it's like it is a good thing that she did try. It's God again. God knows. There's a whole discussion about was like how that went, but the initial attempt is just human. It's that desire of wanting to make human connections, even if it's subconscious. I guess like maybe maybe you don't realize that's what you're doing when you reach out to someone else. But at the end of the day, humans are social creatures. And I have to assume that's even more the case when you live in a post-apocalyptic world where the population in the city is very minimal. And I know like the you know, like in episode one, well, let me check one, let me check the thing. It is episode 12 called She Said Don't Make Others Suffer for Your Personal Hatred, yes. which is basically uh, the entire episode is almost about what we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. It was like yeah, like you you hear about what Masato, Kaji, Rizuko's generation had to deal with. Like there's hints of it. They, they went through hell and back. Like the, the world was ended almost. Yep. And they had to, they were children who had to deal with it and they had to quasi grow up really fast. But I think a I think a, and to bring this back to our angle of our episode, I think that shows sometimes the opposite of a coming of age can sometimes mean i guess not not, like not so much like growing up but sometimes like relearning what it means to have like to have a childhood or like to to look at your like after yourself a bit or see yourself try to enjoy the world around you like you normally like children normally do the i think the problem with like with uh their generations that they went through so much they you know, they kind of lost. They lost themselves. They lost what made them human. That you learn as a child, because mm-hmm. they they didn't have that luxury. The world was blowing up. Mm-hmm. The world was blowing up. Life was changing for all of them. I find it very interesting that in Misato Kaji Ritsuko, my favorite of the trios, uh, you really get to see how that world has impacted those people and how it impacted them all in different ways, like. I've said this before that even though I'm not a huge uh, manga reader, I do like Kaji's manga backstory because it highlights something that we didn't get to see in the show at all. And it's how this big, huge world shift affected people of a lower class, per se, because Kaji was out in the streets with his brother. Yep. And uh, his brother got killed just because they snuck in to try and get food Mm because him and his little gang were hungry. And that is, that is something I really do give the manga credit for. It did give Kaji some spotlight, and I do consider it canon. And uh, yeah, that's and you can also even look at how the other two did and didn't have to deal with it. Uh, Ritsuko was kind of sheltered from it. Yeah. But it's sheltered in the sense that she kind of had her survival was based on her mother's work and also thus her the expectation that she would fill her mother's shoes yes so there's almost this drive of you could lose this luxury at any time and of course you're kind of having to live in your mother's shadow because yeah for all because god knows we, i know like you guys have talked about rusuko's mother all those like and it was like all the things she did but the one thing she did do right was 
make sure that Rizuko didn't starve or was in the same situation that Kaji was in. Yeah, yeah. Out of the three, I, I think um, Ritsuko was the one that was the most sheltered. She was also the one with the most distance from uh, the second impact. Because yes, the second impact, it did affect everyone around the globe. But when you look at it, for example, at, at how it affected Kaji and Misato, Ritsuko has a fairly different upbringing. Heck, she, her grandmother is still there. You know, her, you know, she has the family. She's, though, the irony is that you, we could, like, I know we, we want to talk about other characters. Mm-hmm. Ritsuko is a very interesting one because she kind of has an almost, like, her coming of age is kind of realizing that, you know, men can, men can be, can be dicks. Like, surprise. You don't but, say. <laughs> yeah. You know, they like they can be manipulative bastards. And she learns a lot of what about, you know, love and how men and women's power dynamic from based on society works. And there's all kinds of I know you guys, I won't repeat the episode, but yeah, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of terrible stuff in our world. And she had and she just kind of started to learn them once her mother died, because in a sense, her mother was a buffer to that, whether yeah. the mother tried to or not i i I was like it's a different thing but still yeah but like her being there her mere presence the fact that ritsuko and her were were seen to be fairly comfortable in each other's presence maybe not comfort the same way a mother and a daughter could have a relationship but in a way that they were like co-workers like oh how's your day been oh it's been fine oh don't worry i'll head up in a couple of minutes let me just finish up here when when we do get that flashback in episode uh 21 i believe one of the best episodes. I love that episode. It is interesting to see how these women who are mother and daughter behave more like co-workers because of their perspective field and how they approach the work. Because it really does highlight the distance that they have from one another. And you can even feel that distance throughout the letters that they send each other before yeah. the tragedy. Yep. And... uh I was like, again, to kind of, I think I'm kind of turning this into a quick, uh, let's talk about Rasuko's coming of age. She's she's great. We can talk about all of it. I don't care. <laughs> it's my <laughs> podcast. Just, fair. But yeah, just to go over real quick, I do think that uh, it was like with her, like her coming of age was throughout Evangelion because she was kind of just, just the replacement in for her mother, including dating the guy her mother tried to get with. Which yeah. God again? That's some. Oh boy, that's some Freudian crud again, right there. Well, yep. let's just—he can't keep getting away with it. <laughs> but he does, unfortunately, <laughs> again, because everyone Anno read Freud, and this is not our problem. But point being, she was basically just playing in her mother's shadow, and in a sense, that's almost childish. Even when you have serious things happening, she almost ex- she excused gendo's behavior even though anyone anyone even remotely was like who was like like really like grew up on even slightly unsheltered could have spotted those red flags Absolutely. but uh she you know she never took off those pink glasses so mm-hmm. it was like uh and she had to deal with that she she's petty jealous of of ray she's like yeah she acts like a grown child and it's not till the end where she, you know, her cat, like really her cat dying was almost a funny little catalyst for the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And he didn't care. And that's, that's the thing that I think started to push her down the road, realizing, oh, Gendo doesn't care. 
you're you're uh, yeah you're all you're also a resource for him just as ray is and that's that's i think is uh is really is rasuko's uh coming of age i think a really good one honestly yeah. like that like i know we're going to talk about the others but i think rasuko's the it has the best coming of age in this one more than the teenagers but that's my opinion I agree in a way, honestly, because I think this also has to do a lot with the fact that you and I are closer in age to Ritsuko than we are to the pilots. Yeah, no, definitely. And and these are things that we tend to notice because I know the pilots tend to be everyone's main focus because they are, in a way, essentially the main characters. They are the faces of the show. But I do think it's always interesting to sit back and look at how the adult characters face this world. And Ritsuko is one that on my first watch of the show, she went completely under my radar. It it wasn't until the second viewing where I was like, oh, yeah, she's way more interesting than I gave her credit for. That's on me, boo. That's on me. (laughs) I guess to kind of go into the I was like, I guess also to wrap to go into the pilots a little bit. You know, the most obvious one is uh, is Shinji. You know, he's. It's like he's having to kind of face the fact that, yeah, dad has a job saving the world. Like, I know Gendo's Gendo and uh, Gendo's the worst, but it was like even like just taking it with from, like I said, a lot of what other people like before everyone kind of knows what Gendo's all about. Mm-hmm. You know, Gendo's job is to save the world and is like and yeah, he's having to throw his son into a, a giant machine. And, you know, that God knows that's not a good thing at all. It's like, but at the same time, you're kind of like you like I know a lot of people gripe Shinji for the first thing saying isn't oh you're trying to throw me in this machine to kill me. It's it's like you haven't even talked to me. That's the thing he yells about when faced with like being put into a death machine to fight a giant monster. Mm-hmm. But I also find that like that is it's childish, but yeah, Shinji's a child. Yeah, and, he, he's allowed. He's allowed to feel that way. I feel like it's a perfectly normal reaction to have, considering yes. your estranged father hasn't talked to you in years and suddenly, boom, get in the robot. And, you know, uh, and I do know, like, that's what children tend to do, where they get angry at, like, they might be angry at something else, but they focus their anger on something that they, that might have been, they've been a little bit angry at before. And the anger from something else kind of just gets piled on with the anger for another thing, because that's the because it's the thing that's easier to process. And you know, a, the, a kid being told to get into a giant robot to fight a monster, he, he's like you can tell just by like the episode, he doesn't know what the heck's going on. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think all that anger and confusion getting thrown into dad d- didn't talk to me. Yeah, that makes sense. He, he like that's the thing he's going to focus on, but. And part of his coming of age is getting a more context to what's going on. He never, I don't think he ever fully grasps what's going, the full, everything that's going on. But that's, again, that's okay. That's what the adult characters are for. Mm-hmm. And again, he's not expected to. He's a 14-year-old. Yeah, but it's him also having to realize that, yes, you do, in fact, have some misogyny to your, like, to you. You got to, you got to deal with that kid. You. We live in a society. <laughs> Unfortunately, that we do. Yeah. So, and again, yeah, part of that is, and I think that's a lot of what Shinji has to deal with. It's growing up in a society. Yeah. It's, yeah, you know, hormones are what they are, and you can't make people be the way you want them to. Mm-hmm. Like it or not, Masato has a sex life. She, you know, she's not your mom. 
Asuka has a, a thousand and one things going on and she can't just be the focus of your affection. And God knows Ray has a thousand and ten. Mm-hmm. No, they are. I think that's the interesting thing when we come and talk about the coming of age factor of this. Like throughout the show, we have characters trying and failing to realize that other people are three dimensional too. And not just what we perceive of them. I think it's one of the reasons why the two episode finale of the show like gets to me emotionally a little bit more than the movie does because it the show like does acknowledge that. The show acknowledges that, you know, there's an Asuka that lives in Shinji's head that's not the same Asuka that lives in Kaji's head, for example. Yep. Definitely not. A lot of that is also for the other characters. And I think it like the whole having to having to go backwards in terms of being learning to be a child again almost is also applies to Asuka and Rei to some extent because like unlike Shinji they weren't sheltered either like mm-hmm. they she's their child soldiers through and through more uh, Rei more than Asuka yes but like yeah and each of them have their own reason but neither of them really could be a child and neither of them could be ever hope to be what even if they wanted to be what Shinji wanted because they don't have context for that their world was vastly different from each other's and shinji's and it was like uh shinji and everyone else can't be what the other what the other teenagers like what asuka really want them to be like asuka wants to be better than shinji and and is a little jealous of that he's constantly you know pulling out victories out of his ass which you know i I can't quite blame her there it's like there's she unfortunately does doesn't have like her mother unfortunately didn't know about the prophecy thing and uh didn't successfully get herself inside of an Ava like Yui did, but that's a whole nother story. It was like, you know, that's it was like so she's like, yeah, she has to deal with that. And yeah, she's like she's not being viewed the way she wants to by everyone. Like, you know, Kaji does not see her as a grown-up, in fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, you're a 14-year-old. Stop. <laughs> This is weird. I'm not into it. Yeah. It's insane. I I know I've said this before on on the podcast, but I I always find it crazy how relieved I was when Kaji refused her the first time I saw it. Because you know how anime is and how anime be. And and to be so relieved when Kaji was like almost like disturbed by the sexual advances that Asuka was trying to put on him. Yeah. It's like, oh wow, an adult man behaving normally. How refreshing! Yeah, uh, yeah, that's why. Uh, that's why Kaji is the best. Was like, is probably the best male character in anime. Yeah, you know, there's. Agree, the, agree. Yeah, I signed. I co-signed that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like he's got it. Good job, buddy. Yay! A, he might not like the low bar that he had to go over, but you know what? He did it. He did it. We can, like, well, yeah. we can say that very about very few characters. Yep. I was like, well, yeah, any, but uh, main point is that, yeah, uh, that's something Asuka has to learn. She can't, like, people won't view her the way she wants them to view her. And Ray's whole thing is that she's, you know, having to learn about life, period. And, you know, that the Gendo, the person who technically take care of her, yeah, you know, he's actually, uh, he's out of his mind. Unfortunately, yeah. she hitches a hike with Shinji, almost repeating uh, 
Ritsko's mistake because, like, even if she was like, hey, uh, you know, even if they were like, hey, let's make them date, it wouldn't be a healthy relationship. No, not at all. Not, yeah. Like, Shinji would probably start resembling a dear old dad a little more than anyone wants to admit. Yeah. But again, still, that, that, like, that was before, and that's part of Shinji having to grow up. He has to learn, yeah, there's society doesn't induce some misogynistic stuff, and it's up to him to grow past it. I personally like to think he did. Yeah, I, I do as well, honestly, especially with, um, especially with the fact that he does come to a realization at the end of either the finale or the movie that, you know, people are way more complex than we think they are. And how at the end of the day, what we need to extend towards each other is empathy, regardless of gender and sexuality and whatever there is in this post-apocalyptic world that's keeping from people from talking to one another. I do like to think that he grew past that. Yeah, that's always a good hope to have as I can stuff, but uh, I was like, and also just the care, like, yeah, that's kind of Asuka's and like, and also Shinji's like his is, his is a longer one, but I think definitely one that is easier for the audience to swallow a little bit. And I think that's why he was kind of he, like, why it follows him and Masato the most. Yeah. I, I think it also like, it's, it's an unfortunate fact that, Asuka, Asuka really never gets to have her come to Jesus moment, her her moment of realizing, because as soon as she becomes basically catatonic in episode 22, she stays in a hospital un- yeah. until the end of Ava, where she does have a moment of catharsis and joy in realizing that her mother never left her. But it comes at the cost of a her embracing her childlike qualities because at the end of the day, all she wanted was approval from her mother, and b it comes at the cost of her life. Yeah, Oscar definitely got the short end of the stick in all of this regard, and mm-hmm. God knows that's a whole conversation on you know power plays between men and women. You know, yeah. Shinji's always kind of getting what he wants or what he needs in the end and Asuka's kind of well, usually sometimes at Asuka's direct expense you know it's was like and there's a was like but to stick with the topic like yeah and Asuka like really doesn't even in the double episode like they talk about her but she's usually a point of contention and having to be the one to spell it out for some of the others yeah like yeah she was like yeah it was like oh, there's a different me and you know there's it was like you know the world uh i think her thing was you know the like a like a rainy day is only sad because you think of that think of it yeah. uh because that's what you associate it with but any day can be happy one i do think it's brave from the part of asuka or the writing team whoever made this decision that out of the three pilots asuka is the one who tries to live like a normal teenager she goes she goes out with friends she goes she goes out on a date the thing is that asuka's asuka's weakness in why she can't really be with others at the end of the day is because she thinks she's above them <laughs> like when she goes on that double date with hikari and uh an okay. unknown person she, she just basically goes oh he, he was boring so i left <laughs> just 
And it's because of that. It's because of that detachment that she has where she thinks she's more mature than she actually is. Yeah, and but in a sense, like in a sense, that's not like completely baseless. Again, of child course. soldier, if she and went to college, let's like when a child prodigy went to college, child soldier saving the world. Yeah, you like you can't like I don't well, like I can't quite blame her for wanting some reward for that. She mm-hmm. is, you know, she is technically doing way more than the average person, and she definitely uh has a right to that. But at the same time. I was like, yeah, unfortunately, the world is what it is. And then I was like, and uh, she's just a tool. And that's the heart. And I think, like, I feel like that's kind of the crux of it. It's not even so much she needs to be like, oh, hey, you know, do like, is it also part of like just realizing that, yeah, the adults sometimes don't care for you and you will have to find your own validation and happiness. Honestly, I think if uh, it would have been interesting to see her really stick up for herself against the adults and be like yeah i was like i was like you need me just as much as i need you yeah or also i'm I'm also just uh entire i was like uh entire fan of the idea of the pilots unionizing because god that'd be great <laughs> god especially in this day and age huh <laughs> yeah can't imagine what might be spurring that on but yeah <laughs> that that aside i do uh it was like I do. I was like I feel like uh, yeah, that was Oscar's main thing. She kept relying on the adults for validation for an validation that would never come. Mm-hmm. That's a real sad truth, but it is a truth. You know, yeah. sometimes you can't. You, like I know, like old nursery rhymes were like even like Hansel and Gretel. That was about trying to teach children that they have to be self reliant. Because remember, they're in the woods because. Uh, the parents was like sent them out to die so that way they wouldn't starve. Mm-hmm. Sometimes mom and dad don't won't, don't have your best interests at heart, and it's hard to describe that. And I think that was something that Oscar uh, like almost needed to learn. Is like and kind of try to figure out, but she never really doesn't get a chance to. She never really gets the chance, but I think there's a part of her that's always been aware of it, but it's more of a denial thing because. When we go to the flashback episode where we find out what happened to her mother and when we're in the funeral, she is vehemently just saying, no, I'm not crying. I'm I'm a strong big girl and I can handle this. And everyone's like, oh, you're so brave. And that form of validation kind of started replacing the lack of validation that she was getting from both her mother and her father, who basically both casted her aside. Yeah, and, and also because let's be real, dad was a loser. So, dad was an insane loser. Fuck that dude. Yeah, and so yeah, but the, like besides him, and I do feel bad because maybe stepmom was okay. Who yeah. knows? I was like, but yeah, there's a lot of emotional baggage that that Oscar had. That yeah, you know, a good parent probably could have done. Unfortunately, she stuck with Masato, who again was not at all prepared for dealing Ooh. with what Oscar had. If she couldn't handle what Shinji was going through, no, and she ain't ready for Asuka. No, not at all. And it's funny because, like, when you strip away some things, Misato and Asuka are very much alike, in yeah. a sense. They they both have big, strong personalities that kind of clash with the world around them. But that's exactly the reason why they can't seem to see eye to eye with one another. Like, and I do. It's like, and I do know a hot take from someone who's not me i was like 
obviously like this is someone else's little hot take but i know that like asuka and ritsuko definitely have a lot of like a lot in common as well and like yeah. i do like the idea that they're the real parallels to each other yeah i enjoy that idea as well i i've, I've also seen that idea float around I just bring around the Misato Asuka parallels because I, I always find it interesting how people with similar personalities just can't really seem to gel well because it's like two bright stars trying to compete for the spotlight, you know? And in a way, like whether it is accidental or not, Asuka is always trying to crawl from underneath Misato's shadow. That's why she's so loud and boisterous and rebellious to what Misato has to do or say. Asuka has a rough time following Misato's orders because she yeah. doesn't like her, because there's there's an underlying jealousy in there, because Misato is the adult that Asuka wants to be perceived as. And, well, and also, it's the version of Masato that like that Asuka wants to be perceived as because exactly yeah we could technically argue that you know there's like that uh there's also just the sense that Asuka view is trying to make Masato be the ideal version that she wants to be mm-hmm. so yeah it's something a, a blueprint to copy so to speak it was like but yeah it's uh it's like I think then that again that's part of her coming of age is realizing no don't get it from boy which shinji don't get it or it's like or it's like or man kaji because you, you shouldn't because you know they're your a child, man they're and your child. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. don't get it from the uh adults because uh masato is masato and she yeah so yeah it's it's like that's her coming of age that we unfortunately really didn't get and even in the new movies i feel we didn't really get her the beco- get coming of age thing the most that I can say for the movies uh, is that I do enjoy the fact that Misato and Asuka seem to be more on a collaborative. They they seem to have a less antagonistic relationship, especially in the third and fourth one, because you know Asuka has been the soldier for years under Misato's command, and there's a degree of trust leveled between them because of all of the child soldiers that Misato had. Asuka's the one left. With uh, the addition of Mari, of course. But I don't think uh, Asuka, uh, sorry, Masato trusts Mari that much. <laughs> oh, no, I, I I don't think so either. Mari is there more for Asuka than she is for anyone else within Wiley. Yeah, I, I do think that's, and I know Asuka in the movie did have her whole, her uh, understandable temper tantrum. Like, yeah, I'm for, stuck at being 14 forever. Now, like, it was like the, the whole I, I'll never be able to have sex thing was really awkward, but mm-hmm. it was like, again, I was like, and I have my opinions of the movies, but it's, it was like, again, it's, it was, that's usually all like Asuka really ever gets. It's just a chance, like, you, you know, she gets angry and then just uh, someone else, like, you know, it either gets ignored or in the movies, Shinji just kind of is like, hey, don't be sad. Yep. Then that, that's all we get. Yep. And they move on. I was like, I know, like, the, I think the closest we did get was the live action sequence at the end. That whole thing. Yeah. I was like, yeah, that whole live action sequence they once had, well, I think was the closest we ever got was just Asuka just, you know, becoming a, a, a regular adult, doing adult things. 
her Masato, her just complaining about Masato, her neighbor, just kind of getting told by I'm assuming Hikari, just like, uh, hey, you know, that's part of growing up. But then mm-hmm. I'm also, and I was just like, yeah, okay, I guess. But again, it's it was a thing, but it was like, I kind of wish that was a little, I think that was as close, like the best we got for Asuka coming of age. I think the tragedy with Asuka's coming of age narratives is that the ideas are very interesting, but the execution never quite meets the potential of those ideas. Because even in the movies, the fact that she's forever in a 14 year old body, but like she has mentally, she has aged, you know, interview with a vampire did that storyline better, you know, Uh, with with Claudia and, and all of that. And there is a potential for a story there, for a very interesting story about, like, changes and our bodies and our minds and all of that. But, you know, we only have a capacity of 26 episodes, two of them being the finale, which try to encapsulate everyone's story. And there's just so much we can do with limited time. And that that really is the tragedy of her story. It's also the... I, I also feel like there's a tragedy to raise coming of age because yeah. I I deeply appreciate and love Ray more on like my second or third viewing because at the first one I felt very detached from her. But when you really look at Ray's story, it's very sad when you realize that Ray is most mostly a reactionary person. Stuff happens around her or to her but ray almost never gets a sense of agency to these stories to these moments and i think ray doesn't get a full coming of age story simply because she is already there when we meet her yeah but i think it's also the thing of almost going backwards hers what like Hers was wasted because, like, like, let's be real, it's Anna forgot about her. Yeah. Like, like he even said that in the interview. But I do like to think that, yeah, it's also like, like I think that, yeah, the idea definitely was like her kind of figuring out that, oh, hey, no, wait, I do actually. I was like, I really should make my own decisions here or like, mm-hmm. or kind of really enforce my will on myself, my self my self identity. And like getting her own, because yeah, she she was literally made in a lab. Like, yep. there's a lot put on her that would prevent her from, like, that would prevent really anyone, like any of them with a conscious, really being able to form their own identity. It's it's like a, uh, it's not just shelter. This, this is on like another level. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, her whole thing of you know almost becoming a god by almost dis- disassociating herself with with humanity and it was like kind of i don't know i feel like it almost makes her very human she finally gets like she almost gets what everyone kind of wanted was like that self-autonomy and ray has it in spades because well she's basically a god now Mm -hmm. i can't get much more autonomy than that but did she decide to be that and there's the crux of it yeah she in a sense did but didn't i know there's an old analogy for uh, a child who grows up say in, in like where the best thing you can become is a buddhist monk and then the child decides to become one did they really 
because that's all they truly had available to them? Or was that just a product of their environment? Like, you know, would they become the same thing in another environment? Like if they're born in America, it's like, and I think that's almost the same. Yeah. The same thing with Ray. That was her only real way out. She could see. So yes, she did choose to do so, but she didn't have many choices. Yeah. And I feel like that is still, I feel like in a sense, you can bring that as a coming of age if you really want to shoehorn it just because she like sometimes in being an adult, you don't have good choices you can make. Sometimes you don't know all the choices you can make. And sometimes you, you like, we are, we are products of our environment. We can only make the choices that we was like that we see in front of us or can comprehend. And I think that's, yeah, it wasn't the choice that yeah, she was kind of forced to, but it's how many choices did she, could she really have made? We can, like that she would truly have the context for. She did, she took the best choice that she could, in my opinion. I think that's, I think that is in a sense a coming of age. You Sometimes you, that's all you really can do. And she did it. Yeah, yeah. You, you've completely convinced me. I'm on your side now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah I won I, an argument on, on the internet? All right. Yeah! <laughs> Man, oh my God. I, I just think that whenever I think of race story and race trajectory throughout the series, I just always get sad because you have to admire in a way the fact that the choice that she made, whether it was hers or not, it was the most selfless one. I feel like out of all of the characters, Ray has always been the more empathetic simply because she has always been very observant and aware of those around her. She may not exclaim these things she may not communicate them well but she is observant and she is way smarter than anyone else gives her credit for and i think she also has more both going on like uh, underneath the surface granted this is uh this ray that i'm thinking of is also the ray created from multiple renditions and interpretations Mm-hmm. I don't I don't like her being the little the little soft oo No, I me neither. Yeah, no, I there's there's more to her and she ain't dating you, buddy. Just you know, quit it. Mm-hmm. But anyway, it was like, but really though, I do think that uh that yeah, with Ray, there's she is yeah, she is very observant. She's watching the world around her, having to learn context for it. Unfortunately, from some of the worst people she could learn about from that from. <laughs> yep. Unfortunately, all of the influences around her are uh bad. They're bad. Yep. yep. Like so, here we are. <laughs> oh, you know who else has an interesting coming of age moment, even though it's very short. I think Toji is a very good coming of age character. Yeah, my boy definitely has some good, good stuff. I agree. Good boy Toji. I love him. <laughs> he ain't bad. I it was like he's. I do like the anime version of them and the manga version. They're they're good kids. It's like the uh, the original manga version, not the uh, uh, not it's like not the other Neon Genesis manga. We don't talk about, like <laughs> not that one. That one's terrible. No, 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 but anyway, I just I just find it interesting that Toji's come coming of age moment revolves around his sister. Yeah. He does the things that he does all for her. And I find that very interesting when you compare him to a cast that are so absorbed in their own 
ideas, lives, and images, rightly so, to be honest, that to have this one character who makes such a drastic decision out of the choice to help and save someone uh, that they love. And I find that very selfless of Toji. And again, I think he's a good reflection almost of Masato's generation in a sense that he had to look after his younger sibling and as like and he stepped up to the plate. That's a good mm-hmm. and yeah, that is a good coming of age. And honestly, I do think that he in a sense showed a lot more maturity than most of the adults in the show. I agree. He had yeah, he had to really as like a you know, he did help like he did talk to Shinji. Granted it wasn't in the it was in a teenage boy's kind of way. He's but still fourteen. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he's still a fourteen-year-old boy. He now cut him some slack. You know, like he he can have his cringe moments, mm-hmm. uh, but he does try, and that's always been the thing I did like about uh, Toji is that he does try his best, and even sometimes when it's a uh, not quite the right thing to do, he's still doing it, and he's still doing his best and trying to do the right thing. Yeah, I'm sorry, that's a long ramble, but I like Toji too. No, please do not apologize. We are the Toji fan club here. We love him. He is a good boy. He's never done anything wrong ever, and I can attest to that. I will attest to that. Actually, he's a good boy. <laughs> and there's also Hikari, who also has a like. Who I think does also have a little bit of a coming of age again, tiny one. Yeah, and it's around Toji and getting hurt, and it's almost like. No one wants to tell her what happened. Yeah. But I think it's interesting that these two characters coming of age moment have to do more with them realizing that they care for other people instead of being completely absorbed in whatever's happening to them personally. You know? Yeah. Yeah. They have like the most like human and normal as like a kind of relationship start. Like, Mm -hmm. Toji realizes, oh, hey, Hikari, you know, Hikari's whole thing, I'll make you lunch. She likes him. That's, you know, he, he figures that out. He's not dense. Yeah. It was like, it was like, as, like as he looks. And uh, it was like, and basically he's just, a, and they start a relationship. You know, he cares about his sister, he, but he's not, and he's having to be a pilot, but he's not letting that stop him from trying to find happiness with someone who's, who he, who he also wants to try to, have a relationship with yeah i completely agree that's like one of the th- one of the reasons why i didn't like the change in the the rebuild films yeah but what i did enjoy in the rebuild films is that when we meet adult toji he's the town doctor yeah i found yeah, that good. sweet i found that very and also, sweet and also i like that it, it like it, even though he was always portrayed as a jock he he became a doctor and he almost became, he basically had to be a self-taught doctor. Like mm-hmm. the guy, I like that. He's like, yeah, he was actually really intelligent. And he, like, especially when he applied himself. Now that's, I find, I, I like when characters get to do that. And yeah, Toji, like, yeah, I, I do think I do appreciate that about the rebuilds. Toji became a doctor that does fit with his character really well. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, he chose a very selfless, profession like to be a doctor especially in a post-apocalyptic world like the one that they are living in that takes bravery that takes guts that takes balls the fact that not only is he the town doctor but he like 
he rises up to the challenge. He has his own family with Hikari. He he tries his best to be grateful of the fact that he did become an adult, if if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, he got to live. And I do like that, you know, he he probably did so out of influence to help his sister. There we like mm-hmm. there's absolutely like I like I don't even think that's even a like even a discuss like a discussion where like yeah, he that's totally probably why. And he like even admitted in the in the rebuilds like yeah he had to do some awful stuff to survive mm-hmm. but he still tried to be a good person and in the end he can like you can say that him toji is like yeah, sorry yeah toji and hikari are probably the like more adult than the adults in this show he, he like he does step up like then you know kind of does what kaji and masato couldn't do yeah, you know, because Kaji decided I'm going to sacrifice myself, and Masato says, "Eh, screw being a mother. Here you go." To like, yeah, here you go. Uh, here you like, go, town. Take care of him. Yeah, <laughs> here you go, Ken. Yeah, like again, and I, to my boy Kensky, he's a uh, he learns that yeah, being a Ava pilot really isn't all it's glamoured up to be. But I do kind of wish that he got more of a spotlight for that. Yeah, I, I think I think. That as much as we can sit here and talk about how depressing it is that a lot of these characters either didn't get to complete their coming of age narrative or just missed the ball completely on their coming of age narratives, it is nice to see that even if it was just the side characters, there are people who made it out, you know, yeah. and who made it out successfully. Despite a lot that was going on, like, don't, like let's not forget, uh, Toji's mom, like, is was like, it's pre- I'm pretty sure is dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, dad doesn't seem to be around too much like in a sense he is he has a sim- very similar life to shinji granted he has to take care like he has a sibling and maybe that would have helped but at the same time would you really want shinji to be in charge of taking care of a, a smaller sibling absolutely not <laughs> no yeah so again like i like shinji he, like, he's his character is what it is but yeah no i definitely uh definitely not as well but yeah that's and that's what i mean like they they managed to make it out despite the adversity that they had to face and hikari also has taken care of younger siblings like she has a she had to basically become the mom mm-hmm. you know she's not no responsibility slouch and i do think that they are the best examples of an actual coming of age it doesn't losing that in its quote unquote innocence and stuff and learning the context of the world doesn't have to be a bad thing mm-hmm. it can be a beautiful thing you learn more about people well like you know if you, instead of being afraid sometimes it's good to you know was like try to like almost take the opportunity there's each person is a world in and in and of themselves correct and that's a beautiful thing and yeah they i think they're they came the close to figuring that out yeah I think that's a perfect way to end this episode, honestly. Just end it on a high note, on a positive light note. Yeah, I think we covered the basics, honestly. It, it, in a world of Misato's be a Toji. <laughs> that that's yeah. that's what I'm signing off on. Yep, agreed. And yeah, you know, in the world of all the craziness, remember that uh, you know, people other people being people don't have to be doesn't have to be scary. Sometimes it's the most beautiful thing you can you can realize. Empathy really does get you a long way, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Surprisingly, <laughs> just don't yeah you know, yeah. Just be just try to be a good person. Love yourself and learn. Try to learn to love others. There, you, that's the message of Ava. 
it really is it really truly is just always keep an open mind that people are way more complicated than they tend to express and be gentle just just be gentle with others and love yourself never forget you're complex too like and sometimes you got to look in a mirror to realize that you're like that you're more complex than you think amen (laughs) yep All right. With that, we wrap up season two, episode nine of this podcast. Alex, where can anyone find you in this cryptic day and age? Uh, On Discord, like here and there. But really, if you're looking for my Twitter and you want to you want to be a friend, it's Maslow underscore in underscore need. I don't go on there too often and I do apologize. But uh, I miss you. Yeah, I was like, I miss it's like trust me, DC, I miss you too. <laughs> I just most of the time I'm just exhausted. Yeah, I totally understand that. Especially now that Twitter is an unusable hellscape. Yeah, Thanks, it, Elon. Yeah, really. Oh my god. It's getting worse. They're losing uh they're losing text message authentication. They're losing everything. They're losing their minds too. Like the other day I, I entered notifications and they were completely out of whack. I had notifications that weren't even mine. Yeah, it, I don't it was know what's going on. Very confusing. But anyway, we're not here to complain about uh the man who thinks he's Gendo Ikari. So <laughs> if you like this podcast and if you like what we do, you can always support us at Patreon. It is patreon.com slash Ava X Lilith. And every single dollar that you can contribute to us goes literally directly into my editor's pocket because they make these episodes listenable. So if you would like to support us and continue on this endeavor, it is patreon.com slash Ava X Lilith. Ah, guys, I want to give just a quick announcement, uh, just a quick heads up to anyone listening The podcast is probably not going to come at a monthly speed. My life as of right now is very, very busy. I started this podcast when I was in the middle of quarantine in 2020. And unfortunately, that is no longer the case. So life tends to get a little bit hectic sometimes. The podcast will continue. But as I had mentioned on Twitter at some point, this will probably be the last year of the podcast. So we're going to try to make it as good as we can with what little we have. And I just want to quickly just say thank you to anyone who's ever taken the time to listen to one of these episodes. I know they can run a little bit long and a little bit rambly, but thank you to anyone who's ever listened to them. Thank you to anyone who's ever been a part of it. Uh, This podcast has been a very impactful thing in my life and I want to end it gracefully <laughs> so we have that to look forward to anyway thank you so much for joining us on this episode and I look forward to the next one I have been DC and this has been Ava and Lilith the Monsters of Men Bye.